Uh, there's two readings today. The first one's from Psalm 22, verses 14 to 18. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it is well, well melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of, roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And from John 18, verses 28 to 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. And um, it's good to be here again and share the word of God with you. Uh, that last reading, especially the one from Psalm 22, we often read Psalm 23, but we don't bother to read Psalm 22, which is very, very moving. And I recommend that, and you've got a bit of spare time, read Psalm 22. Um, I want to start by talking firstly about cal calendars. Most of us probably have a calendar hanging up somewhere in our house. We've probably got two or three. And they're handy because they remind us of certain days and dates which are important to us. And uh, you can put things on a calendar like your, your wife's birthday and providing you remember when it turns up that you go and say happy birthday. Otherwise, you get no brownie points for being there three days after the event, as I found out. On the Christian calendar, and there is such a thing as a Christian calendar, there are many days and dates which are revered and celebrated universally by the Christian church. Some are deemed less important or less significant than others, such as Lent, Advent and Pentecost, while others are extremely important to the Christian faith, such as Christmas and Easter. But mixed in there, there is one holy day which is still celebrated by many churches while in many others it has slipped off the radar altogether. And that is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And yet, would you know, it's mentioned in all four Gospels, yet we often don't celebrate it at all. I know they do in Anglican churches and to a certain degree in Catholic churches. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before the crucifixion of Jesus and it is very significant because it's a time we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So it was a spring Sunday in the year 30 AD. The holy city of Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims who had come for the annual Passover celebration. Many heard that Jesus would be there which caused much excitement. Could this be the Messiah who was promised, the one that they'd been waiting for? 
Jesus had spent many months traveling through villages and towns in Palestine. He preached about the kingdom of God and he healed the sick wherever he went. Now the time had finally come for Jesus to claim his rightful title as the Messiah, the saviour that God had promised the Jewish people. Now Jesus knew his mission was almost finished. According to scripture, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. Huge crowds of people lined the streets, pushing forward to get a better view. Some spread their coats on the ground in front of him. Others waved their branches of palm trees, a sign of victory. And people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Long live the Lord, the King of Israel. Hosanna meaning, save us or deliver us. Only a king would be treated in this way and the people wanted Jesus to be their king. Now why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey? Why would he do that? If you said it was to show humility, to a degree you'd be partly right, partly right. But scripture tells us, however, that it was in exact fulfilment of the words of the prophet Zechariah. And I quote, See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. That reading comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now one might be prompted to say, so what's so special about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? The point that is special is that Zechariah wrote these words 520 BC, more than five centuries before the event actually occurred. And there are at least another 350 messianic prophecies which were fulfilled by Jesus getting to the cross. One would think that such evidence would prompt some sort of response or an inquiry from those searching for the truth or the meaning of life. But alas, it doesn't. Let me digress just for a moment. Back at the turn of the century, one of the so-called prophets who took centre stage was the 16th century French pharmacist named Nostradamus, who was said to have predicted the 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers in New York. Now, you would have to have a vivid imagination or a very warped sense of humour to see any semblance of truth in his extravagant claims. However, people flocked into bookshops to get their hands on the copy of the Book of Prophecies. I find that staggering. One of the hallmarks of identifying a genuine prophet is that he must be totally 100% accurate. There is no second guessing. There is no room for error. This immediately disqualifies Nostradamus. Once again, if you've got a spare couple of hours and you want to read some rubbish, get hold of one of his books. In the Bible, however, we find an example, a messianic prophecy in Psalm 22.6, which we had read to us this morning, where it prophetically states, they have pierced my hands and my feet. That was written in 550 BC. 
The point to be made here is that this was written at a time when crucifixion was not a method of execution in Israel. It was not a method of execution. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians 300 years later. But that's exactly how Jesus died. He had his pierced his hands and his feet. So Jesus now openly declared that he was their king. He was the Messiah they had been waiting for. However, most people did not understand what kind of a king that Jesus would be. They expected their Messiah to be a great political and military leader. Someone who would free them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire and lead them in a revolt against Rome. But how quickly the mood of a crowd can change when they don't get what they want. You'll have seen what's happened over in Britain with Brexit, an absolute mess, and what's happening on the streets of France at the moment, an absolute mess. When people don't get what they want, they tend to revolt. On Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into town on the foal of a donkey, the excited crowd greeted him with, Hosanna in the highest, and they waved their palm branches. However, within just a few days, the shouts of Hosanna would quickly fade away and be replaced with shouts of crucify him. One day you were crowned as a king, the next day you were crucified as a criminal. How futile, as the song said that we just wrote, how futile is the praise of men. How worthless and shallow the praise of men. How empty the praise of men. Those who hailed him as their hero now chose to reject him as their king and abandon him. Over just a few days, Jesus goes from hero to zero. So what can we learn from this? We can learn that we are often quick to discard our heroes when they do not fall into line with our expectations or when the stance that they take does not agree with ours morally or otherwise. And without being political, I want to give you two examples of, what, of people that this has happened, happened to. I can get the page open. In recent times, when two of our sporting heroes chose to stand up against the rampant homosexual lobby, they were held down, they were vilified, and they were abused. The mob turned on them. You may know these two people. I'd be surprised if you don't. The first one was Margaret Court in tennis, who was still, she won 192 tournaments and 24 major uh, tournaments too. Um, that was in tennis. The other one was Israel Folau in rugby union. Israel Folau represented Australia and the war he plays for the Waratahs in rugby union. Now I don't want to get caught up in all the details of what happened and, and all the rest of it. But what I want to say is basically, Margaret Court stated that she would prefer not to fly Qantas because they chose to openly promote same-sex marriage and they're on their boarding passes. Now, Margaret Court chose to make a call, a fair call, a free choice. 
in Israel Folau's case, he's quoted, he quoted some passages directly from the Bible, which many found to be offensive. Remember that the word of God does divide. The angry crowd wanted Margaret Court's name removed from all spectator stands and replaced with Yvonne Gurlagong's name. And they wanted Israel Folau to be banned from all rugby international games. And Israel Folau has a contract at the moment of $4 million. He prepared to put his money where his mouth was, is. But we can also learn that, let me just add to that, just putting politics aside for a moment, I've written, written in this sermon, just where does freedom of speech fit into this equation? It's worth a thought. We can also learn that despite the crowd turning on him, Jesus remained resolute to the finish. He wanted to finish the task set before him. Despite fierce opposition, he now encountered. He at no time let the crowd dictate the terms of his mission. Jesus was and is the great finisher. He set an example for us to follow. And now if we look back quickly for a moment to Palm Sunday, the start of the Holy Week, do you realise that it's just a mere period of five days from Sunday to Good Friday? One can only imagine the agony Jesus must have endured both spiritually and physically during this time. Hailed as a king on Monday, hung on a cross on Friday as a criminal. What we need to understand is that Jesus was always fully aware of the mission he was on, the mission that the Father had given him, which began with, the, with his baptism by John and extended right up until his death on the cross. His full humanity and sense of obedience are truly outlined in his words when he said, Now my heart is troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. A name. So was Jesus at any stage of his mission tempted to give up? The answer is absolutely. Remember his words on Mount Olive? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he hung there for approximately six hours. During this period of time, the Bible records him as making seven short statements. Now, time doesn't allow us to deal with all of them, but I want to draw your attention just to one, to the sixth saying, it is finished, because these were the last words of Jesus spoken from the cross, and then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said, well, what a, sorry, I've skipped a bit there. It begs the question, just what did Jesus mean by it is finished? What was finished? Jesus said to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In other words, the work was finished. The words it is finished is only found in the book of John. It's not found anywhere else. In the Greek, it's just one word, tetelestai. Tetelestai meaning paid in full. It's an accounting term used when two people are doing a transaction. 
the buyer and the seller. And then the transaction is being completed, the seller gets his stamp and goes, bang, paid in full, the word tetelestai. The debt owed to the father has been wiped away. The debt of sin owed by mankind has been completely eliminated. That is past sins, current sins and future sins. The question is, what was the work that Jesus was sent to do? What was the whole purpose of it? He was sent to seek and save that which is lost and to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. When he cried out from the cross, it is finished, it was a cry of completion. It was a cry of victory. It was a cry to the Father saying, I have done exactly what you asked me to do. It was a turning point in the entire history of mankind. For at that moment, the Old Testament came to an end. Finished, closed. The New Testament had begun. The cross was the great divide in human history. Jesus was shouting that the old covenant had ended. The new one had begun. At that divine moment, all sacrifices permanently ceased because Jesus, the perfect and final sacrifice, had laid down his life of salvation for mankind. Yes, the divine mission was accomplished. Jesus has done it. Every sin paid for, every evil deed judged, and the full total price of our redemption at the cross paid. That is the power of the blood of Jesus as we sing. That is the glory of the Son of God. That is the depth of the Father's love. Who can measure it? How can it be measured? It was all for you and me so that we could be with him forever. But let me finish by saying we often, how do we actually understand the story of the cross? How do we put it, put it together? In a word, it is a love story. The story of God the Father's love for his children. But we all too often misunderstand the cross because we often look at it in the wrong light. We see Jesus' death more as a supreme sacrifice and less as an act of ultimate love. We see it more as the taking of a life rather than the giving of a life. We see it more as a tragedy than as a triumph. Jesus is God on a cross, choosing to love you and me and all humanity. No matter how far away we may have wandered, we are never too far away and we are never, ever abandoned. The ark of God's love is long, it's never-ending, it knows no boundaries. So Jesus perfectly lived the life that he had to live and he perfectly died the death that he had to die. Christ died for us not because we're bad people, not because we're worthless sinners, but he died for us because we are loved. We are loved. Love on the cross always has the final word. Thus Jesus could cry out, it is finished. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, when we come into your presence, how do we ever measure 
the depth of your love? The answer, dear Lord, is that we cannot. We cannot measure it. It is too deep for us to understand. But we ask that you would help us to see the cross in a new light, to see it more as the giving of a life rather than the taking of a life, more as a triumph than a tragedy. Thank you, Jesus, that you could cry out, it is finished. Amen.